Hey, Brock, how are you? Well, John, how are you? Pretty, pretty good. Uh, the last week has been pretty exciting. There's like one thing that's been huge, but we're just going to talk about the last week, and then we want to give all of the listeners your story, as we did with my episode two weeks ago. Yes, yeah, good idea. It's a, the most popular episode to date, according to iTunes, so I, th- I think we need more of that. <laughs> yes, our vague analytics tell us that that's the case. <laughs> well, this is like the most nerdy little thing that I was so excited about, but YouTube had this feature when you upload. So you know when you do the upload screen, and it gives you a dropdown for private, unlisted, and public. Well, in the last week, they had an option for scheduled, where you could schedule when the post went live, but they took it away. I tried. I was uploading this morning, and that option wasn't available. So I don't know if they were like testing it, and then they pulled it back, or if I was in a test group and they rolled it out. But have you seen that? Have you used that? Interesting. No, I, I haven't seen that. Although I thought there was a, a way to schedule uh, previously, like before they started testing out this new look and feel. Uh, I never had the option to schedule, but it came up in the last week and it was a beautiful thing because I want to post around noon, but I usually upload at like six in the morning. And so Mm. I'll previously, I would just put it up as private and then switch it over later in the day. But the scheduling thing was really nice, but I'll have to keep looking for it. Yeah, that, that would be nice. I was actually, I was, uh, out of town doing family stuff last week and, you know, I was thinking, so like I had my blog post written, and you you can schedule a post to go live in WordPress. Had my email written, you can schedule that to go out in your email service provider. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to just have everything to be able to just set everything up so it just kind of happens, you know, when, even when you're not there. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw that you probably won the award for best dressed at this wedding you went to. Ah, yes, yeah. There are actually, you know, a lot, lot, a lot of sharp guys there, but. Uh, yeah, I think I think the bridal party did go with the rental tuxes, which is always hit or miss. Um, you know, it's one of those things. You ever get like a wedding invitation and you're like, what does this dress code really mean? Because this was like a very formal wedding, but it was also, uh, you know, an early summer wedding. It was outside, so how formal could it be? You know, uh, so I think yeah, people people were a little confused, but I, I went with the the uh, tropical weight wool uh, three piece suit and uh you know then a more casual tie and double monks yeah i saw that that looked uh looked pretty good yeah thanks so uh, you got any uh, and you've had a few videos uh over the past few days uh, any any favorites or any any that you want to touch on you know we had the, the luggage uh comparison and then which it's interesting because you travel a lot um and then of course the j crew video yeah, the J. Crew one spawned out of a previous conversation. That's always been something churning in my head. I just put it up today, so already I've had some pretty good initial comments. But uh, you know, we we had talked about it on a previous episode. I think the brand is really shifting and changing, and they have some uh, they have some demons to really look in the face pretty soon if they want to save themselves and, and be a, a long term brand. Uh, the suitcase one that's that's the number one question that I get about those specific suitcases and the most simple answer to save anybody nine minutes is just buy the bigger one because they're basically the same it's just a matter of um, you know the measurements are very close between the two yeah that is that is always the question it's like do you just you know pack the big suitcase stow it away and then you don't worry about it especially have connections and stuff you don't have to haul it around the airport um, but there's something appealing about you know traveling light and carry on only and and that that mentality. But I personally I I usually uh, check a bag 
even even if I don't, you know, have to, even if it's carry-on size, uh, just because I don't like to carry it around the airport. Yeah, you're much more brave than I am in that regard. <laughs> you've probably had some luggage lost. I think you've traveled, you've flown probably uh, quite a bit more than I have. Yeah, rarely luggage lost. To me, it's just the the quick. I'm I'm in and out of these airports like as fast as I can. So, hmm. yeah, not a big deal. But uh, I want to learn more about Brock McGough. So, I guess where would be the best place to start, or where where do you want to begin us on your journey? Probably don't have to start at the beginning, <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe uh you know a little later in life when I started to get in all. Get into all this stuff. Um, I think that's that's what people usually ask is like, you know, how'd you get into blogging, YouTubing, or online business, or and then you know how how'd you get into style? And uh, I think it's interesting because I, I kind of see these as like two parallel paths that kind of started at the same time and then eventually intersected uh, with the modest man, <laughs> which is which is pretty neat. But yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily related, and I was also kind of late to the game. Uh, in both arenas, so the subtitle would be "How did you go from schlubby, oversized jeans to the best dressed at your most recent wedding?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was it was not not early in life. I'll say that. Like, it, it's funny because I think you see people, you know, a lot of these Instagrammers and stuff, and it's like, man, this guy must have like this guy must have been born in like a three piece suit, you know, or like this this person must have been the voted best dressed in high school, and and that was not the case with me, but. Um, but yeah, just to like give the quick uh, rundown. Uh, like you, I am originally from upstate New York. Um, also, like you, my dad is an IB. It was an IBMer, uh, and then we moved down to DC when I was very like four. Um, uh, he, you know, he was still with IBM. So I grew up in the in the Maryland DC area. Uh, went to uh, Jesuit all, all boys high school. So you know, had to had to wear a kind of a uniform and really hated it and rebelled against it and, uh, you know, would leave my shirt untucked whenever I could. And um, I went to University of Maryland for college, still uh, cared uh, nothing about style or, or really my appearance at all. Um, and, yeah, I was just into other things. You were wearing uh, visors and graphic tees. I, I was definitely wearing graphic tees and uh, – yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, baggy jeans. And and also as, you know, as a guy who's like 5'6 and, you know, 120 pounds soaking wet, it's kind of hard to find clothes that fit anyway. So I, I didn't I didn't know about tailoring or anything back then. So, you know, if I went to American Eagle or something in high school and I got the smallest T-shirt they made, it was still way too big for me. So I just kind of accepted it, you know. Um, I didn't know there were alternatives. And back then there were less alternatives than there are now. With uh, you know, online made to measure, online tailoring, clothing brands that are made specifically for shorter men. Um, so just a lot of options now, a lot of little niche companies. So yeah, I was basically a slob uh, <laughs> in in college, and uh, I was getting interested in business because my my dad uh, uh, is an entrepreneur, and uh, his his dad was, and you know, so it definitely runs in my family and something that. My parents have always encouraged, um, but I hadn't really, you know, outside of like kind of building my own summer jobs, you know, landscaping and stuff like that, um, I hadn't really done anything, you know, yet, but I was thinking about it. And I was also really into music at the time. I grew up playing 
classical piano and I started playing drums in high school and I got, I was pretty serious about it. So, um, you know, I was thinking about that too, maybe just doing something with music. So, so being I, raised in that environment, do you think that entrepreneurship is, it's like the nature versus nurture thing? I always, you know, it has to be both. Do you think that's really the case with you is you grew up around it, you knew about it. And so just internally, you've always felt that it was something you'd be magnetized to? I think it's a little bit of both. I think definitely having having it run in the family and having my parents encourage the idea of, you know, running your own business or building something or just kind of working for yourself, you know, and, and being self-reliant, I think that definitely helped. I also think that no matter what situation or what parents I was born with, I'm just kind of like very stubborn and independent and I don't I don't really like working for other people you know so I think I was always going to try to find a way to escape the uh, you know so-called rat race but but yeah I, I don't know I mean I'm, I'm sure that just having that kind of family and that kind of encouragement um, really helped but at the same time my my dad had you know he built a consulting business and um, I mean he would have loved you know if, if me or my older brother or, or any of my younger siblings, wanted to, you know, go work for him and go work in that kind of business. But to me, that was just something like I just never wanted to, you know, and being in D.C. or growing up in D.C., there's just so many like if you just stop a random person on this, on K Street and say, what do you do? Chances are they're a government employee, government contractor, um, you know, work at a think tank, some sort of uh, political job. And there's just so much of that going on. And to me, that was like none of that was appealing at all. It just seems so, so boring and dry. And I just, I'm not saying it's not important, but I just did not want that life. Um, but I also didn't have any idea how to escape it. And I didn't know anything about blogging or YouTube or online business, or passive income or anything like that. So I kind of stumbled on that on my own. You know, I, th I think that probably would have happened um, even if I was, you know, born in a different situation. So you stumble onto that in, in what year? So I, I graduated from college in 07 and I didn't, I, with a degree in psychology, had no idea what I wanted to do um, other than I didn't want to keep going to school and get more degrees in psychology, uh, which, which was my, you know, my plan when I was like a freshman. Um, How'd you so land on yeah, psychology? Well, I, I think part of it was, yeah, just being, being rebellious. I mean, my dad was a business guy. My older brother was business major at UVA and I just didn't want to do the same thing basically so I think I was just kind of trying to do something different um, and yeah I, w I was really interested in, in psychology and just people and you know human behavior and I just kind of looked at the list of majors and I was like that's that's what seems most interesting to me what well, wasn't wasn't a practical decision or anything like that but you know at the same time I don't think your major really matters um, and if I could go back and what I tell tell younger people who are just going to college say you know get pick what's most interesting to you like unless you have a really specific plan like I'm going to be a doctor and then maybe you need to be you know do pre-med stuff although I know plenty of med students who you know were art history majors or whatever so you don't have to but unless you're going to be an engineer or a doctor or something just study what what you're interested in and what you love because that that's really what you know four-year college is all about it's just you know be, becoming well-rounded um so yeah, I, I don't think you know you have you don't have to be a business major to go into business. You don't have to be a um, 
you know, anything really. I mean, in college, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much. Couldn't agree more. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I graduated, um, got a job at this like kind of communications company in DC. It was a, a new company, kind of a startup feel, you know, we had a Nintendo Wii and a open office plan and went to happy hour all the time. And it was a very fun job, but, uh, it wasn't at all what I really wanted to do. Uh, and at the same time, so I was there for three years and while I was doing that, I was kind of getting back into music and, uh, you know, production and recording and a little bit of writing. And, um, so I actually ended up leaving that job in 2010 and pursuing music for about a year and a half, um, uh, working in a recording studio and, uh, doing, you know, doing some of my own music. I was in a couple of bands and it was a really, really fun time. I lost some money, <laughs> didn't, didn't really make any money. I mean, I, you know, I, I made enough to live, but, uh, dipped into my savings a little bit. What, what I realized there was like, especially with, with recording studios, the people who have really cool music that you really want to work with probably don't have a ton of money. And the people that do have money might not be people that you necessarily want to record with every day, you know? So it's kind of a tough, uh, a tough industry. And, and it's also, again, I didn't know anything about, uh, online stuff, you know? So I didn't even think like, Oh, I should, I should have a YouTube channel about this. I was just kind of doing it the old school way. Like, you know, give me some money. I'll give you some time in the studio and, uh, you know, playing a band on the side. Yeah. Is there, is there a community for that in DC? Yeah, there is a, there is a, uh, a music scene in DC. It's, it's not like, so DC was like, like a birthplace for jazz. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Duke Ellington and, it was that was kind of the, the golden age I'd say of music in DC. There are some uh, some you know modern artists uh, out of DC, but it's not like New York or LA or anything like that. But you know it is a big city, so there is a music scene. Pl- plenty of work to go around in, in the music scene in DC. Yeah, I like to imagine politicians coming home and then turning on their MIDI board, just kind of relaxing that way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and there are a lot of just, just you know, kind of pet project bands. So, yeah, just guys who have other jobs and they're just, you know, doing an album on the side or just trying to play gigs or something. So, yeah, it was it was fun, but not not profitable, at least for me. I couldn't figure it out. After that, that was, yeah, about a year and a half. I had a friend that was working at another company. It was really big, like, kind of IT consulting company. And he's, he said, hey, you know, there's a job opening, basically doing the same thing I do. Um, at the time, it, it paid way better than my first real job out of college, uh, which was, I, I believe, was like $38,000 a year. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I interviewed, and I, I, I wasn't doing great financially, so I interviewed with them, and I was like, you know, this isn't really what I want to do either, but it seems like the right thing to do now. Um, I kind of now know that, yeah, I'm 32, I've kind of learned that when you make a decision for money, it's probably not the right decision <laughs> if, if you're making it, you know, purely for uh, financial reasons. But I did take this job. It was, uh, I was involved with basically quality assurance with the software company, um, which is very much as dry as it sounds. Uh, but it, it paid well. I had a lot of flexibility. And that's when I started to, that's when, that's when I learned about this whole world of online business and people making money with blogs and YouTube channels and stuff like that. I actually read a book, and I, I can't remember who gave it to me. I wish I could because I'd send them like a, a gift basket or something. But uh, I read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and it just kind of changed the way I was thinking about income. And it, Tim 
there's kind of like I guess the book has a couple lessons, but one of the the major takeaways is like that you don't have to depend on trading your time for money. You can set up other income streams that are independent of your time, so passive income. And I, I think the most straightforward example of this would be a rental property. You know, as pass passive income, that once you do the work to set it up, you don't have to be there for an hour to make money. It's just going to make money when you're not even there, when you're sleeping. You know, and to me that idea. You know, I'd, I'd been in corporate America for five years, and the idea of not being chained to a desk and not having my time directly linked to my income was like mind-blowing and so appealing. And it's weird because my, you know, my dad's a businessman, but he never really explained it in that way. I never really made that connection that, um, you know, if you set up passive income streams, you kind of have freedom. You know, you kind of escape. And that's what I was really looking for. That's what I was looking for, with, you know, with music and and everything. So, I read this book, and I, I started to learn about, uh, you know, blogging and WordPress and affiliate marketing and all this stuff. And I started to build websites, uh, uh, just to experiment, just to learn how to do it, and um, you know, learn about search engine optimization and all this stuff. And let's see, that was like in I don't know, 2000 and. 11 maybe 2012 um, and I didn't make any money off that <laughs> but I was learning a lot uh, and uh, a couple years into my job at this company I was like all right this is definitely I got to get out of this company because you know I'm really not liking this and so I decided um, and I and I had started the modest man I so I you know bought bought the domain and started writing about um, style for shorter men and you know wasn't getting a ton of traffic yet but it was it was enough that I was like all right this could be something um, but I but I need to focus on it more because it was like you know, I'd post once a month and then a month would go by without anything and I'd post three times in a week because I'd have like a slow week um, so I thought okay I'm gonna take a sabbatical and one of the things that, that Tim Ferriss talked about in, in his book was you know you can take these mini, this idea of mini retirements so it's like all right you've always wanted to visit a certain country don't wait till you're 65 take a sabbatical and just go do it, you know, and uh, most people think that's not realistic, but it, it is, you know, it, it just is for most people, so I told my, uh, to my boss, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, um, and I uh, bought a ticket to Ecuador uh, for about three months, got an apartment there, and just basically focused on the blog, did a lot of writing, um, did a lot of uh, <clears throat> Brazilian jiu-jitsu, because I was, I was getting into that, and you know, met a bunch of cool people, and just kind of got out, like hit the reset button, just got out of my um, my nine to five life for a while. Um, and then when I got back from that, uh, I you know, the modest man was making a little bit of money, but it wasn't nearly enough to make a living. Um, so I started taking freelance work. At this point, I was like pretty good at at search engine optimization and online marketing, and you know, I learned a lot about that stuff. Um, and I always got questions about it, so you know, I started taking on some freelance clients, helping them get their website set up and their email uh, marketing, and um, doing SEO audits and uh, you know stuff like that. Uh, and that was enough to it was enough to get by, but it was tough. You know, living in DC is like a high cost of living, and it's just hard to to live the freelance life. You don't really know when the next paycheck is coming, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of busy admin work like invoicing and and you know the trying to acquire new clients and stuff. So I was doing that, it was going okay, and then I got a call from a recruiter 
from AARP and they're like, we have a, an SEO online marketing position as a contractor and it paid pretty well. It was like definitely more money than I had seen, <laughs> than I had been paid at a job. Uh, it was also a contract position, so it was like pretty pretty flexible. It was like there's no overtime or anything and it was online marketing. So went and interviewed and I was, I was thinking, all right, this place is going to be super lame. It's AARP, a bunch of old people. And it wasn't. It was like a bunch of young people who were really, really savvy with online marketing and email marketing and working on a website that was getting, you know, 15 million uniques a month. So I thought, okay, this is this is a cool place to be for a while while I still, you know, try to build up um, the modest man. So I went there and that was actually an awesome job, awesome co uh, colleagues, really great boss. And I was there for two years. And during that time, you know, just I just kind of hustled on the evenings and weekends and kept blogging um, and building up the modest man. And it got to the point where I felt comfortable leaving the full-time job and just going full-time modest man and not having any freelancer or nine to five or anything. So, so you really leverage the experience that you had learned with SEO to then get the AARP job. But in the back of your mind, you were always thinking I'm doing this so that I can build up the blog and I can build up my own business. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I kind of always saw jobs, not my first job, but like definitely something like AARP or the job I had before that as like fundraising, you know, for, for my own endeavors, I guess. And, and I think when, when you look at it like that, it's, it's, it makes it a little more palatable because it, especially if you don't like your job and you have an, an idea for something else, if you see it as temporary, you know, and, and, and when you, when you get there in the morning, you think, okay, I'm here. And, you know, I, I was a contractor, so I knew exactly how much I was making every day. I said, okay, I'm here. I'm going to make this much money today. And I'm using this, you know, to fund my, my side hustle basically, or my idea. And I, I'm not going to be here forever, you know? And so that's, that's kind of how I looked at, at ARP. But, but oddly enough, I mean, I learned so much there and, I think that I was able to to teach them a little bit too um, about SEO and, and marketing from from a small perspective, from from a blogger perspective. Um, and you know, I learned a lot from them about what you can do with you know paid traffic and, and when you have a ton of traffic and a ton of email subscribers and you know, split testing. I mean, they were doing really really advanced stuff. So it was a a very cool uh, symbiotic relationship we had. Yeah, it's all about, I think it's, you know, it's accumulating experiences and it's accumulating that external knowledge that once you, once you internalize that can make you more powerful than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, you don't need that. And that, that's why I say like, you know, what you major in in college doesn't really matter because at least when I was in school and maybe it's different now, but there wasn't an online marketing degree and there were no classes about how Google's algorithm works, you know? So I, I learned that stuff uh, just by reading basically free in, information online and then trying stuff out. And that, that was that was where you really learn. You know, I build a website, start writing some stuff, see see what ranks well, you know, see what doesn't. I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is very figure outable uh, for anybody who, you know, understands computers and the internet and um you know, anybody can create content. So yeah, I don't think at least for, for the kind of work I'm doing, I, I don't think there's a school that can teach you how to do it 
and it's kind of unnecessary. You can just start doing it. I think the thing that gets most people with like YouTube or blogging or anything like that is it can take a while to build something. And I think most people quit too soon. Yeah, the thing that I keep coming back to, I don't know where I first read it or who it's really from, but they say it takes 10 years to create an overnight success. And like, that's, that's just what you have to keep telling yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and if you, you know, the media kind of sensationalizes these, these stories that, about, you know, startups that are just that raised a bunch of money in their first year or whatever. And, you know, that's, that is the case sometimes. And, and those are definitely the, the appealing stories. But even in those cases, if you really look into it, you know, a brand like Facebook or Warby Parker or like just any of these brands that just seem to come out of nowhere, there was a grind there that you probably haven't heard about. And if you read anybody's, you know, book, you know, Phil Knight, I mean, any, anybody who's really built something, they grinded for many years. And that's usually how it goes. So I think you have to be prepared for that. And for that reason, you have to pick something that you're pretty interested in because if you're not, you just won't have that staying power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. So that was, that was pretty much it. Oh yeah. I, I, um, I kind of, I kind of failed to mention the style part. I mean, that basically what, you know, working in, in DC and in any corporate job, I mean, you, you got to look good. And I do remember a, a, a specifically one day where I, I showed up to a meeting with a backpack and my, my boss told me not to do that again. <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of embarrassing, so I thought, oh, I got to get a nicer bag, and then that was kind of how I started uh, getting into stuff, and there was, there was another guy in my office who was extremely well-dressed, and I remember talking to him and saying, you know, how, what's your secret, and he kind of casually mentioned that he gets his clothes tailored. It's just matter, matter of fact, like, oh, you know, oh, I go to the tailor, of course. It's like, oh, okay, the tailor, you know. I remember going to my mom's tailor and getting a, a pair of jeans hemmed, and it was like, eureka moment, you know. So I kind of started getting into that at the same time that I was learning about you know, building a, an online business. And uh, so it was, it's kind of funny because if you go back and look at the the first post from Modest Man, you know, back in 2012, I mean, you'll see, I, I still I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, <laughs> you, you just learn so much. Uh, and when you have to create content about a certain subject, you're going to learn about that subject, you know. So I don't think you have to be an expert to uh, to start doing something. You know, you, like, I mean, like for Cavalier, like you don't have to be a shaving expert to be able to, to do a really good review on a shaving product, you know? Yeah. You just build the expertise as you go. What do you, what was the real catalyst for you to then start posting? Because I think a big step that many people don't take is the first step. So do you think it was just like new, uh, do you think it was just maybe amateur hour type of thing where you were like, I could just post about this. What was that first step like? Well, I, I think when I was getting when I was getting interested in, in dressing better and upgrading my appearance, I did find a lot of good stuff. Um, Effortless Gent, Art of Maleness, Primer Magazine, you know, Real Men, Real Style, the the uh, kind of original blogs that that you know that weren't the major magazines like GQ, uh, GQ Details, all that. And I noticed that they a lot of these blogs had like one article, so they had like really good advice, but a lot of it didn't really apply to me because I was like, all right. I, I'm reading your article about how a suit should fit. I just literally can't find one that fits like that. Some of these sites had like one article on dressing the shorter body type, but they didn't, you know, it was one article. And there was one website, it was called Short Shrifted, and it was run by this guy, Josh, who I believe worked at like Amazon or Google. And 
he was like me, very much an amateur, uh, late bloomer when it comes to style, but he was kind of like doing what we're doing now, like Consumer Reports, you know, style, like, hey, I just tried out this brand, here's how it fit, I just reviewed this new shirt company, you know, here's how it went, here's some pictures of me. <clears throat> it wasn't like highly produced or anything like that, but it was awesome because he was focusing on shorter guys, and he was the only one doing it, and he stopped posting one day, and I just noticed that he didn't have any new content, and I reached out to him, um, was never able to get in touch, uh, and then one day his, and, and then I even offered to, to buy the site. I was like, hey, you're not doing this anymore. I will buy this site from you. Let me kind of like carry the torch from here, and he just stopped posting. His site went offline, um, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to start from scratch then. Um, you know, if he, if he doesn't want to let me take over and he's not going to do it. So, yeah, I kind of kind of just filled what I thought was a void and started, you know, creating the content that I wished existed when I first got interested in style. Yeah, I can definitely align with that. That's very interesting. You had your, uh, your early inspiration. Well, it's cool. So you left AARP and now you moved across the country and you're going full time. Yeah, yeah. So I left ARP uh, what, 2015. I had I had bought a a condo in DC, and so still had a pretty big pretty big monthly bill to cover. So did a little bit of freelance work um, while I prepared to uh, rent the place out and move from uh, DC to Arizona with my girlfriend, and uh, and yeah, then when I moved uh, uh, early 2016. I, you know, ceased all, all freelance work and, uh, and uh, 2016 was the first year that I really just did the Modest Man full time. And interestingly enough, it was by far the best year I've had, you know, uh, with, with it, with any of my own endeavors. So something to be said for, uh, going all in at one point. Yeah. That's very exciting. So that's it. No, uh, no making, uh, liquor in the bathtub at the seminary or, or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> hopefully some people will, uh, will still find this, uh, this story interesting. Absolutely. I think, you know, to me, the, the founder stories are always the most interesting and, and inspirational. So just, you know, we both, we both had our experience with our SEO daytime jobs and it informed our side hustles and then the side hustles become more important. And uh, I think it's just everybody has their own path. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be I think often it's not like super exciting or but I think it's the, it's the little things in in a person's journey that hopefully can inspire somebody else. I mean I think there's a lot of people who are just working working full-time jobs that you know maybe they're tolerating, maybe they love, maybe they hate and that they have an idea for something else or they're doing something on the side. So I, I know I know what that's like and I guess my advice would just be just keep doing it, you know, and stick with it until uh and until it works, because it, it probably will eventually. I just don't just don't quit too soon. Agreed. Well, it was really cool to hear your story. I think I told you after we got off the last one, it's been really cool to get to know you over the, the podcast series here and uh, look forward to keeping up with more of our ongoing weekly chats and then our entrepreneurs on the back end. And if anybody has suggestions for people to get on or any other topics we uh we're going to be looking to integrate the audience voice more as we go so figuring out whether that's a facebook group or reddit or something else we'll we'll go from there definitely well cool we will wrap up for today we will see everybody next week i'll talk to you soon brock
All right. See you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.